Okay. <gasps> Nothing like a back porch Bible study. Thank you, Becky. Um, I'm Susan. I work at Christ Press. I'm the coordinator of women's ministries and I mean, what did I just say? Oh, that was, I was like, is this an announcement? And I'm leaving you. No, I'm so not leaving you. That's called I'm a morning person. I'm not a night person. And that's why I tend to teach morning Bible studies and get reported for nighttime Bible studies. But when this was a big snafu, I was super excited to tell Becky because as I've seen this registration filling up, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is such a fun group of women. I wish I could be in both places. So I'm selfishly glad it messed up so I could be here. And um, there's going to be a teaching team. Did you tell them about this yet? Okay. So there'll be a teaching team, and um, it's going to be me and Ellie and Lisa and then um, Megan Granigan. So two nighttime, two morning people. And so, um, I mean, honestly, if you just want to teach it live, you could, or you can watch yourself on video. It's just live. Yeah. So I think it's more awkward to watch yourself teach on video. I don't recommend it. So, so anyway, but if you miss a week and the Friday emails, the whole point of the video is uh, someone can strip it and do audio only and it's a podcast. So if you miss a week and you want to catch up, you can just listen to it on a walk or a drive and um, still feel like they're a part of it. And if you have friends who can't come to Bible study, that's something we're recommending also. So in that Friday email, there'll be a video, hopefully, and um, a podcast version. So if you are watching it on video, I'm sorry for the angle, and you might just want to listen to it on podcast. So um, anyway, so let's though take all of that, all the mistakes I've already made and push them aside, and I'm super excited about this Bible study. Um, we have a great book by Nancy Guthrie, and uh, did you cover the homework kind of basics? Just over the Okay, so, so, so. We're going to just kind of kick it off. Just this is an introduction. I'm not even teaching on Exodus yet. That's going to be Ellie next week is going to open us up on that. But I do want to give you just some themes to be looking out for. So, um, and let me just back it up a little bit. If you've noticed um, at church, we kicked off women's ministry with this idea of a theme of rescue for relationship. And um, we had that little logo of a rainbow because that's the sign God gave covenant with Noah um, that God, it would remind God. I mean, we're used to being reminded and we're such egocentric people. We think the rainbow's for us, but actually the rainbow, while we love it and it helps us, God says that's for me to remember and a sign that I will never flood the earth again. And so it's kind of like a, a logo for covenant to me. And so what it kind of stands for and what we're trying to get across this year in women's ministry is that God rescued you not just to save you out of hell, not just to help you have a better life, but because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to be best friends with you. He wants you to be family. He wants you to feel the love that the Father has for the Son. And that just blows my mind. Um, and so we want to start off, that's why this Bible study is the perfect place to kick that off because we look at Exodus and how God rescued them for a relationship. Not just, I'm just going to free this poor people who's in Egypt. I mean, they're in Egypt having a horrible time. I'll just free those people and let them at least have freedom. 
it, that's so small-minded. When God rescues, it's for something incredible, and it's for a relationship. So, so that's why I want to cover just the overall theme for women's ministry this year. And the Bible studies will hopefully kind of back that up, and you'll see that just across the year and what we plan. But tonight, we're going to look at the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch, pent means five, and we started with Genesis last fall, if you were with us, and now we're going to speak through the rest of the four. <laughs> so you're like, whoa, that's a lot. And it is a lot, so we're going to really park it in Exodus for a lot of it. And it's almost unfair. I mean, you could have a whole Bible study on Leviticus, and people do. But for our purposes right now, we want to give kind of a, a survey feel to it, really diving into Exodus a little more. And the other reason we chose this Bible study is because of what Brian is preaching on. He is preaching on Deuteronomy, and we felt like this really undergirds his sermon series so that we actually, when he refers to things in the sermon, the women are going to go, oh yeah, I studied that last week, or oh, I know that story, or we might even be as brass to say, I think you pronounced that wrong. I'm just kidding. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Um, so anyway, um, so I want us to kind of look at this Pentateuch, the rest of the Pentateuch, and um, kind of finish what we began a little bit in Genesis. And then um, also if you were in Hebrews, a lot of Hebrews last spring didn't make sense because a lot of us don't understand Leviticus or when God's telling Moses what to do about the tabernacle or what the high priest wore, what the high priest did. So I'm, I'm hoping to fill in some gaps there too for women at Trinity. So let's just kind of get our bearings on what we're studying this fall. And so next week, um, you're going to be able um, to have some Bible timelines that you may already have one. We've given them out before. Um, and it just helps me visually to get a feel for the whole Bible from a distance. Um, and so I'm going to kind of walk through, uh, one way to walk through that timeline is through the covenants. You can walk through it several ways. You can walk through it just as a timeline, like this happened first, this happened second, you know. Noah was here, Abraham was here, David was here, Jesus was there. I mean, you can do that, and the timeline com combines that. But the reason I want to do it through the covenant timeline part is because I think it unfolds this rescue really well. So, if you remember back to the beginning, and in Genesis 1 and 2, we see this gorgeous world. And we see what we were meant to be, and how we were made, and that humans were made to to receive revelation or words from God. We were, we were built to interpret the world. And we were, honestly, our whole purpose in life was to glorify God. And if you remember, I think it's in Genesis 2, um, it says God walked with them in the cool of the day. God loved just to come hang out with them. He loved to be with them. Just like maybe you and your best friend would say, hey, I'll meet you at five on your back porch and let's just decompress from the day or maybe you have coffee with a spouse or a roommate just to kind of go over what's the day going to be I get this sense that God just wanted to visit and so that is what was ruined when Eve ate of the fruit and we see in Genesis 3:15 that God did not leave them in that ruined state without hope for very long and when he came he said look there's going to be a rescue and your seed and Satan's seed are going to have a showdown. 
And that's pretty much the clue they got. They knew something, they knew to have hope. They didn't see it all mapped out like we do. And that hope actually looks like Jesus. But they saw it. And so the rest of the covenant is unfolding that and focusing in on what that rescue looks more and more. And if you remember in Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews was really trying to convince his Jewish listeners, hey, all of that stuff in the Old Testament was about Jesus. And if you remember, there was this kind of metaphor I used of the covenant is almost like if you're pregnant and the baby is Jesus. And all through scripture in the Old Testament, you have sonogram snapshots of the baby as it develops. So in 315, we have that little bitty picture of a little squiggle on the screen. Okay, we know there's a baby, we know there's a heartbeat, and we know there's a pregnancy, but I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, I just know it's alive and it's coming. And then maybe by Abraham, you're like, oh, 10 fingers, 10 toes. It's that kind of sonogram of God's gonna bless through this person, this family of Abraham. And then you scoot on to, you know, Jacob, and it's going to be through the 12 sons, and then you see Moses, and you see David, and, and each one, you get a clearer and clearer 3D version of a sonogram of what this rescue, this baby is going to look like, and then the baby comes in the gospel. And the writer of Hebrews was saying, the baby's here, don't go, don't go hold and cuddle the sonogram picture. But those sonogram pictures are really important for us to understand Jesus. So that's why at the top of your handout, this quote from Augustine really helps me. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And so it's really important. We're going to learn a lot about God, about Jesus, about ourselves, about our relationship with God through these Old Testament stories and things that happen in our chapters we're studying. So, for instance, you know, with Abraham, we know God's going to save through this particular man, this one person. He snatched and said, it's going to be you, Abram. And then by the time we see Jacob, we see that God can actually save through his family because he has 12 sons. And they go to Egypt. And that's how we close down Genesis, seeing them go there. But now we're going to see Moses, that those 70 people have grown into a lot of people. And Moses is bringing them out. And we're going to see how God relates to a people. So man, family, people. And then later, not in this Bible study, but if you keep on reading, you'll see how he relates to a nation when he has a covenant with King David. And then we keep on trucking through it, and Jeremiah gives us a clue. There's gonna be a new covenant, and it's gonna work differently. Instead of having stone words, instead of having commands on a block of rock, I'm gonna write those words on your heart. And instead of seeing God live in a temple or a tabernacle, he's gonna live in you. And in Acts, we see instead of the Shekinah glory being over the temple or tabernacle, we're going to see flames of fire because we're temples of God. It's enough to give you chills. But anyway, <laughs> so we're going to pick up kind of from there um, where we left off. Joseph is feeding Jacob in his 
uh, 11 other, his siblings, his brothers, and actually God told Abraham that this would happen in Genesis 15, 13, that, that his children, and, and by the way, if you ever asked God for a blessing and he responded with, okay, I'm going to make you a great people, and guess what? They're going to be slaves for 400 years. You'd be like, can we define blessing? Can we back that up a little bit? Because that sounds like that's not a blessing. Redo. 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 Yes. I want to try that on another slot machine try on that one. But that is where we left off is that that's exactly what happened. And you'll... You'll see this next week as Ellie starts teaching the actual book. But this is what I want us to look out for, and this is the second point. We're going to see in these four books what I like to call the family videos of God's people. So, um, I don't know if a lot of y'all know me, but I have five kids, and Lee and I were watching home movies one time. And so now my kids are like almost 20 to almost 30. But the video was when they were little, and they were like probably 2 to 12, okay? So I must have been having the video, and I look out my bedroom window, and I see that they're having a little picnic in the driveway, and I'm like waving, and we have uh, my daughter, my middle daughter, Eloise, has spread this picnic, and she's just, she just loves fairies, and she loves sprinkling dust and pretending and she's probably got a costume on and she's making a picnic with imaginary food or she's got bread and making I don't know whatever and so she's just having a party and then I have another family video where my oldest son will has the video and is directing everybody he is being so bossy and and then I have another son he's just acting wacky and kind of doesn't know quite where to fit in but Harry, my number four, at the picnic, once he knows I'm videotaping, once he knows I'm watching, turns around and shakes his fanny as big as he can <laughs> in front of the camera. And I just, Lee and I were watching these and we're going, you know what? None of that's changed. <laughs> Not one of them. We still have the one throwing parties and doing this, and we have the one that's still shaking his fanny in our face when he gets all full of himself. So what we're going to see, especially in Exodus, is we're going to see how God's people act, how God acts, and how God's enemies act. And we're going to go, yeah, that hasn't changed one bit. Because we still shake our fannies. And God is still good to us. And the enemies of God hate God's people. And they are against them. And God remembers. God, in a way, he's without sin, but he holds a grudge against those people. So let's talk about the character of God, the character of God's people, and then the character of God's enemies. So first of all, this is what I want you to look out for when you're look, reading these chapters and reading these books about the character of God. First of all, he is holy. He tells them to take off their shoes. And a lot of times I feel like we don't really, we really don't talk about God's holiness that much. It feels like, oh, that means we don't believe in grace, or that means God's angry with us. No, God's just always going to be holy. And he was watching out for them because he knew they were sinful. And if they touched the mountain, if the animals touched the mountain, they would die because 
His holiness cannot mix with sin. So we're going to see and be reminded that our Father King is holy. We're also going to be reminded of how just so powerful he is. Just the ten plagues of Egypt are enough to make you stop in your tracks. The fact that he could keep the land of Goshen, which is where the Israelites live, separate from the plagues. Because several of these, like the Egyptians had problems, but not Goshen. Now, I don't know, like, if, you know, southwest Fort Worth had flies and northeast didn't. How do you explain that? Except God is that powerful. He can tell a fly where to stop on a dime. That's power. We'll see him actually part the Red Sea. Not usually what I'm seeing in na on Nature Channel or whatever, Weather Channel, okay? <laughs> it's like a huge thing. Um... We're going to see how, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people and their flocks are in a desert and don't have water, and enough water comes out of a rock to satisfy them. That's how powerful he is. Just as holy and just as powerful, he is gracious. He is so nice. I mean, that's the only, he's not just nice. He's so loving. But it's like we use all these words like grace over. We use it so much that we don't really grasp how good he is to them. Okay, think about this. He takes an ugly, complaining, slave, enslaved people that aren't trained, aren't organized necessarily except into tribes, and takes them and makes a nation out of them, makes them his chosen people. You know, he says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his prized possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I mean, they weren't that cute. They weren't that talented. They weren't rich. They were the least. And God just decided he loved them. And when God loves, watch out. Watch out. He was so loving. He was so patient. He was so long-suffering with them. And honestly, I want you to remember that as a people enslaved for 400 years, the mindset of slavery they had. Think about the men who had watched their daughters and wives and sisters been raped or taken. Imagine how hunched over as a man you would feel if you couldn't even protect your children. Or if you had to watch your little boy go out and learn how to slip through all the mud to build bricks and to teach them how to look a certain way so they wouldn't get whiplashes bad that day. Think about the women who had to hide their babies. Think about just the years of slavery and how it just impacted this people. I mean, God tells them to go march to the promised land. Let's not judge them too harshly because they were asked to really believe God. And you know what? 
God was more than capable of giving them that belief. And he made, He rescued them. They could not have done this by themselves. We can see even through Exodus how they wanted to go back because it was so hard. So he gives this relationship to this poor, poor people. And he actually gives them directions for a tent so he can camp out with them. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a camper. And I love my husband, but I've camped once, and that's when we were dating. And like my aunt said, that was false advertising. You should have never done that. <laughs> and I did do it one more time when I was pregnant, and I was really, that was the last time. <laughs> so I, I just love how God humbles himself to actually want to be in the middle of their camp. He was very protective of them also. In Exodus 4.22, he tells Pharaoh, you have my firstborn. Let him go. I mean, I get chills. Can you imagine? I mean, the nerve of Pharaoh to tell God no. And then it makes sense how much God was like, you have my baby. I'm going to do whatever it takes. This is the Old Testament version of a movie taken. This is Liam Neeson going, oh, I'm hunting you down, you know? And that's what we see God do. He's like, I gave you three chances. It's over. And you're letting my baby go. It could be the easy way or it can be the hard way. But I'm taking my firstborn out. That's the kind of how protective God is over us. And he's so generous. The way he fed them, not only the water from the rock, not only giving of himself in the campground with his tent, he gave them daily manna. He gave them quail that you could catch on the ground. I mean, how easy is this? He gave them sandals that did not wear out for 40 years. Think about the last time you had to turn in a pair of shoes because the sole wore a hole in it or you busted the shoelaces. None of that happened. And they were walking a lot. And they didn't have really good soles like we do now. You know, just think about the little things that shows how how God was watching every detail of this trip. He was so generous. And then he was also offended by them. In Numbers 14, we're going to see in verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And we read how Moses was like, no, please don't do that. And God relented. But, but I want us to notice that God has feelings. And the sin of them just not believing. Of all of this, and you don't think I love you? You, you can put on your shoes today because of me. You can eat manna. You got birds all the time. And you are going, I'd rather go back to Egypt and live like that. Oh, and it, it hurt him. And he was offended. So let's turn to the character of God's people. Oh, boy, they were needy. They were so needy. Like I said, they didn't have a lot of skills. They'd been in slavery. They didn't. They had not been, oh, I've been mayor of the town. I have a lot of experience in this. Or, hey, I know what it's like to manage billions of dollars. Let me be in charge of the account. No, they had not had practice. They've been slaves. They, um, they had probably not even uh, been able, if you think of always having someone tell you what to do when, of 
of being creative and going, okay, today the world's my oyster. I mean, all the things we take for granted, if someone had been beating you every day, you did not do a brick a certain way, newfound freedom would be an adjustment, right? Um, so they're needy. There's this needy. And they're in a desert, for goodness sakes, without food and water. And it's so bad and so scary that they want to go back to Egypt. And they're unbelieving. They say in Exodus 17 that the famous or infamous Massa and Meribah incident is the Lord among us or not. And this is weeks or days after the Red Sea. They are so needy and they're so unbelieving and it they are forgetful very easily. And Deuteronomy 9 and the writer of Hebrews says they're stubborn. <laughs> they're stubborn. Not only are they unbelieving, but then they just dig in. Um, he tells them in Deuteronomy 9, remember Massa and Meribah. Don't do that again. Remember me. And um, they're grumbling. They grumble against the leaders, Moses and Aaron, and therefore God. Okay, let's just pause because I hope you realize that there's a parallel going on here between God's people then and God's people now. Um, how many times have you grumbled against your leaders? How many times have you been stubborn or said, I know God did that for me once, but I don't think he loves me enough to help me now. How many times have you just not wanted to be needy? You want to be autonomous because you don't want to have to trust anybody else, including a good God. And just like the people, you're scared. Because honestly, when it came time, and it was time to go into the promised land, they were just scared. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But they had had enough evidence to believe what God could do. And they chose not to trust him. How do we do that today? How do we... We are scared for good reasons because we aren't able to solve a marriage problem. We're not able to solve a job problem. We're not able to... To, to accept how we were created and maybe your skill set or body type or, you know, if you have to wear glasses or not, whatever it is for you, are, are you able to trust God with it? Or do we complain and wish we could go somewhere else? And they had good intentions. A lot of times they really did. They said, we will obey, we will obey. And then they have a golden calf. So it's just like, come on, people, are you are you four? Because that's about what we're thinking, four-year-old boy. <laughs> you know, no offense to boys, but I've seen them forget faster than girls. So anyway, <laughs> at least when they're four, at least when they're four. So all of this sounds familiar if you're one of God's people now. If you're one of God's people now, all of this is so true for, for us today. So now I want to real quickly just point out a little bit of the character of God's enemy. Because you're going to see in these books this idea of what someone called seed theology. Eve's seed versus Satan's seed. You're going to see opposing teams because the thing Satan wants is to ruin this rescue plan at any point he can. And we see this even as they're leaving and in this journey. Um, and that's why, like in Genesis 15, um, let me skip that. Uh, when we see later when they're traveling, um, that God kind of holds a grudge against in Deuteronomy 23. He tells them not to let a Moabite or an Ammonite in his worship. 
because they did not help his people when they needed help on this journey. Um, and I find that interesting that Ammon and Moab had the opportunity to help, and they were like, no, you can't come for here. And you, I don't know if you have a child, or you can imagine having a child, or maybe you have a niece or a nephew, or just a, a neighbor, if somebody didn't help out your child, you'd be mad too. You'd be like, uh-huh, I got my eye on you. You know, and it's that mama bear part. And I find it fascinating. And why I bring this up is because you two face enemies, and God sees it. And God tallies it and recognizes it, and he let him deal with it. Now, the flip side of that is who else was an enemy of God? Me. All of us are enemies of God until Jesus takes that vengeance in our place. And the other cool thing I love about this is if you fast forward to the book of Ruth, who was a Moabite, and her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson was Jesus. And so Jesus makes it okay. Jesus, coming from a tribe, from a people, I mean, that God said they can't worship in my, my place, takes care of that. So hold all of that. It's all very complicated, but God is very comfortable with all that being true at the same time. Okay? But, so comfort in that if somebody is being mean to me as a child of God, God notices. God takes care of it. I don't have to. But yet, I forgive because I've been forgiven. And Jesus himself makes it where all these people are going to worship, even the ones that have been mean to his people. So we see the new... We see the new and the old, and the, I just want to close in on the back of your handout. And uh, I'm not going to go over all of these, but I think they're fascinating. Um, you're going to see these theme or pictures, and um, I want to tie them into the whole story of the Bible. For instance, Moses is a big deal. Moses wrote the five books. Um, he is a, probably a type of Christ in that he's, he's a leader, he's a mediator, he uh, is a prophet. He's the premier prophet. And you'll hear in the New Testament, Moses and the prophets. Um, he is just a picture of how Jesus is going to be. So, for instance, Moses, as leader of the Israelites, you're going to see how he's a humble leader how he is willing to lay down his life for these people that are actually just a big, hot mess. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus as a leader asking people like us to follow him. So the question for you is, what kind of leader do you need today? Do you think you need a leader? Are you willing to follow Jesus as your leader? Or like the Israelites, are you going to buck against that leadership? Let's skip down to uh, the holiness of God and judgment. In Exodus 19, he tells them to take off their shoes. And then in Revelation 21, we see, you know, this holiness of God. And so I want to ask you, how will you feel seeing God in all his holiness one day? Because you will. The whole world is going to see God truly unveiled 
And the only way we're going to be able to even handle that is because we're going to be hidden in Christ. Um, let's look right at slavery and liberation. Moses delivers them from slavery in Egypt in Exodus 4 through 15. And Jesus delivers us from the power of sin, Romans 6, 19. So as you struggle with sin, do you feel powerless? Do you feel trapped by it, like it, you're enslaved to it? Are you enslaved to it that you can't beat it or that you really don't want to give it up and it just has power over you? And do you wonder if you could ever be free from that desire? And Jesus says, oh yeah, I came to deliver you from that. I came to break you out of that jail cell. Come follow me. Uh, let's skip down to God's house. We see in the Pentateuch that he has a tabernacle. Later that will become a temple. And we are God's temple. We see in 2 Corinthians that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Or 1 Corinthians. So then apply that to your body now. How does knowing you are a dwelling place for God affect your choices for your spirit and body? So I could go all day long, and this will come out in all the lessons. But I want you to just be on the lookout as you read. When you hear, when you see Moses uh, giving water to all these people, I want you to think about Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And when he said, I give you water that you'll never thirst again. I want you to start thinking Old Testament, New Testament, because then both will be better for you. So just to close it down, we do see Jesus in Exodus. Um, some authors even call this the gospel according to Moses. Um, but you can also see yourself in Exodus too. And so I want you to ask yourself, what am I enslaved to? What do I want to return to? What am I saved for? You're saved to be walking in the cool of the garden with God. You're saved to have a relationship. Do you get do you see God as a person? Someone that you talk to, that talks to you. Will you get upset when you see sin bother him and impact that relationship enjoyment? Will you see that you actually need or have needed rescue and that there was a ransom? That you belonged to sin, but Jesus paid with his own blood as the lamb that was sacrificed. All of that is stuff we will cover this semester. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. Oh, I, I just wish that I could say it fully. Um, I know that you give us your word that says it, and I pray for these women that they would love your word, that they would sit down and they would read it, and that they would hear your voice and your spirit filling their hearts with the light that comes from you, that warms us, that shows us what to do, that calms us, that just feels like love to us, that, that this would be a relationship that, that be, it gives us beyond all these other idols we reach for whether it's love of family, love of, of peers, uh, great jobs at work, having a job or not, fitting into jeans or not, all the things we cling to for peace, Lord, I pray that as they interact with these books of the Bible, that they would feel you next to them, and that they would see what they're saved for, a relationship that goes on forever. In your son's name we pray, amen.